you have a Bible, uh, please take it and turn to the book of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 14, which we will wrap up this morning. Luke 14, verses 25 through 35. There are some things in life that unless you are fully committed to them, you will fail. Um, There are a number of ways that we can think about this, but the first thing that comes to my mind is, is sports. You're going to be a successful professional athlete. You're going to have to be fully committed to that sport. We see that in the way that an athlete trains or exercises or practices. But there's also moments when we witness the full commitment of an athlete. I think about a wide receiver who is running full sprint down the sidelines and the pass is thrown and it's it's just out of his reach and he actually lifts himself off the ground and catches that ball with his fingertips in the end zone. That's, that's full commitment right there. Um, or maybe a, a baseball outfielder. The World Series starts this week if you're interested in baseball. Well, they're running full speed, and, and they run straight into that, the, the wall in the outfield to save an, an extra base hit. That's, that's commitment, especially if you're at Wrigley Field and that wall is brick. Um, there's some ivy on there, but that doesn't help much. Um, or maybe a, a soccer player. Uh, a goalie like Ken who, you know, steps in front of this speeding ball or makes a, a dive to, to make a game-saving play or just runs into someone's feet as they are kicking as hard as they can. I mean, that's full commitment right there. Maybe sports isn't your thing, but maybe you can think about the arts. There's full commitment there with, uh, with practice and uh, the practice and the devotion of a, of a dancer or a singer or a, an actor. They need to be fully committed. And there's also that moment when they step on stage that you gotta be committed to, to sing as loud as you can or to dance whatever you have, have learned or to act that part. I've seen glimpses of this on Friday nights. Uh, when the youth break out the karaoke DVDs, you know. The reason I'm no good at karaoke is because I am not fully committed to sing into that microphone. But there are some, and I won't name any names, that are fully committed. And they belt it out into the microphone. So we're talking about full commitment. And, and in Luke 14, uh, we're going to be asking our, this question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Or to put it another way, what is the cost of being a disciple? And in this passage, Jesus spells out very clearly what it means to be a true disciple. And he calls us all to to pause and to consider the cost of both following him and also what would be the cost if we turn and walk away from him. And the central message of this passage in Luke 14, 25 to 35 is that the call to follow Jesus is a call to complete commitment. The call to follow Jesus is a call to complete commitment. There are no partial disciples of Jesus. You can't ride the fence and and follow Jesus. You're either all in or you are not in at all. And what, what, the, what this means to be fully committed may be somewhat surprising as we read these words of Jesus. They may be familiar to you. Maybe you've heard them before. You, maybe you've heard a sermon on this before. If you were here about three and a half years ago as a part of Grace Fellowship Church, you did hear a sermon on these words. Uh, when our family was contemplating coming down here for the second time, 
And when you all were contemplating whether or not you wanted us to come down here for a second time, uh, I preached two sermons two weeks in a row, and one of them was on this passage in Luke 14, 25-35. I don't expect you to remember it. In fact, I hope you don't, because I'm probably going to say some of the same things. Uh-oh, Mark's got it written down, so we're in trouble. Um, you can you can leave, Mark, if you want. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, or maybe maybe you have heard these words before. Maybe you haven't heard these words at all, or maybe they're going to strike you with with new um, force this morning. But that's my hope: is that these words would shock us a little bit, that they would shake us a little bit, and, and help us to ask this question: Am I fully committed to Christ? Because Jesus makes it clear that if we want to follow Him, it's going to require complete commitment. Let's read these words, Luke 14, verses 25 through 34. I'm sorry, 35. Now great crowds accompanied him, Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Just think about that last phrase there right now. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And maybe just whisper a prayer in your own heart. God, give me ears to hear. Let me hear your words this morning. It's very clear in verse 25 that that Jesus is um, teaching a large crowd. And this crowd is is following him. Imagine maybe that you were in that crowd that day. You're there and you're rubbing shoulders with this large number of people who has decided to literally follow Jesus. To to commit their lives or at least least this portion of their life or this portion of their day to, to hearing and learning from his example. Some maybe were caught up in all these amazing miracles that he had done. Others were maybe looking for free food. He had provided that one time. Maybe he's going to do it again. But for whatever reason, many of people are there following after Jesus. And such is the case in our culture too, isn't it? That, that, that many people are taking the name of Jesus on their lips, claiming to be a follower of Christ in some way. They're saying they are a Christian, that they are a disciple. And many are following Jesus. And many are following Jesus for, for many different reasons. Uh, maybe because it's, that's how they were raised, or because their friends or family are, are following Jesus. Maybe it's because they think that, that following Jesus is going to make their life easier, or solve all their problems. Or, or maybe because they follow Jesus, there, there's some sort of benefit at their workplace, or in their social circle. 
Maybe some people are just curious about who he is and they want to know more. And then maybe there are some that are truly seeking to follow after him. But for, for whatever reason, those in Jesus' day and, and those in our day and, and you and, and I in some way have begun to follow Jesus. And he has this word for us here. We're walking after him. We might imagine Jesus on this occasion sort of stopping and getting up on a rock to speak to the large crowd. He's turned and he's facing them now. And he says clearly and loudly so that everyone that's following him at this point can hear. He says, if anyone comes after me and doesn't hate his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brothers and his sisters and even his own life, then he he can't be my disciple. Unless you're willing to take up your cross and come after me, you cannot be my disciple. And unless you're willing to sell all your possessions, you cannot be my disciple. Can you imagine? How would you respond in that moment to these words? Maybe you start wondering if Jesus doesn't like crowds. (laughs) This is his way to sort of thin out the throng that is there. It's certainly not something we would label a seeker-sensitive message, is it? Maybe you begin to rationalize what he's saying. You sort of dull those sharp edges. Well, what Jesus really means is, or maybe you start to see, you realize, I think that he's serious about this. And you start to understand that the call to follow Jesus is a call to complete commitment. I want us to think about about two questions from this passage. The first is, according to Jesus, what is complete commitment to him? According to Jesus, that's the most important person to figure this out from. According to him, what is complete commitment to him? And then the second one we will ask is, is following Jesus worth the cost? Is following Jesus worth the cost? So this first one, according to Jesus, what is complete commitment to him? Uh, Other ways we might ask that question are, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus? Uh, We could draw from earlier in Luke, what does the narrow way of following Jesus look like? You could also say, what does it mean to be a Christian? It's a simple way to say it. What does it mean to be a Christian? Because this is not some sort of top shelf, second level Christianity. (laughs) This is basic discipleship that's going on here. What Jesus is calling us to is what every Christian is is called to. And he gives us three statements, and they're all stated in similar ways. He says, unless you do this, you cannot be my disciple. So we're going to kind of reverse them and make them positive commands this morning. And the first one is, to be a disciple of Jesus, you must hate your family. (laughs) To be a disciple of Jesus, you must hate your family. That's what he says here, isn't it? You must hate your family. And it's not like third cousins twice removed. It's your father and your mother and your wife and your children and your siblings. He hits those that are closest to us. Now, before we explain what he means here, just kind of let that soak in if you're listening to him. So for me, it's Andy, you need to come. You need to hate your mom and dad. You need to to hate Andrea. You need to hate your your four children, your sisters. You you must hate them. And by the way, you have to hate your own life, too. That's that's what it means to follow me. How can this be, right? I mean, Jesus is, he, he calls us to love. We're to love everyone. We're we're even to love our enemies. Uh, He sums up the law by saying the law is summed up in this. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul tells us we're supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Okay, So Jesus is saying I'm supposed to hate my wife. 
He says, I'm supposed to hate my brother if I want to be his disciples. But, but 1 John 4.20 says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. So what's Jesus trying to say? Notice, first of all, that he says there, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father. So there's a comparison that's going on here. It's tied to coming to Jesus. So if you're going to come to Jesus, then you need, in these relationships of life, you need to hate all of these people. This is a figure of speech. Hopefully we can see that, right? It's a figure of speech that to hate someone is, is an expression that's, that's used for loving them less than something else. So the scripture does this in, in Genesis 29. It says that Jacob hated his wife Leah and loved Rachel. And the thought is that Jacob's intense love for Rachel made any affection that he had towards Leah look like hatred. God himself even says, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. So Jesus is not calling us to, to seek evil for our family. Rather, he's saying that, that we must love everyone in our lives less than we love him. We might even say that, that our love for Jesus should make every other love in our life look like hatred. Love for Christ and his kingdom is to take precedence over every other human relationship that we have. This call is to hate your family. It's a, it's a call to have no, no um, human rivals in your commitment to Christ. There's no one that is competing for first place with Jesus. If you did a bracket of people who you love most, Jesus always wins. He's always the champion. Jesus calls us to examine our loves. Am I more concerned about pleasing my wife or my kids or my parents than I am about pleasing Jesus? Have I exalted the gift of my family above God who gave me the gift of my family? In our culture, we invest time in what we love. I think love is, is seen in me spending time with my wife and my kids and my friends and my neighbors. So do I invest more time and energy in my kids than I do in Christ? Do, do I spend more time cultivating my relationship with my children than I do cultivating my relationship with Jesus? Of course, they can be done at the same time. I'm not saying that we need to be monks and invest all our time in just meditating on Jesus. But is, the, is, is Jesus the goal of my relationship with my children? Am I more committed to my friends than I am to Jesus? If they call, I'll drop everything to be with them. But, but do I drop everything to be with God, to, to be in His Word? To go to Him in prayer? Do I serve Him in loving the poor and helping those in need the way that He has called me to? Loving Jesus in that way? Or do I only have time for those that, that like me, that are close to me? I love my wife. She's the greatest gift beyond salvation to me, I would say. And I, I want to spend time with her. I want to tell her how much I love her. I, I want to support her and care for her. But, but there's a danger that I could love my, my wife more than I love Christ. Do, do I give up opportunities to, to be with Jesus, to be devoted to Him in service and in, in worship because I love her more than Him? These are hard questions that I think we need to ask. But the amazing thing about this is that, that if I truly, if I, if 
I truly love my family and my friends. This is not going to be in contrast to my love for Jesus. Because the way that I can truly love my wife and my children and my, my mother and my father and my, my siblings and my friends is if I am seeking the kingdom of God first. If I am following after God, then, then I will love my wife as Christ loves the church. If I, am, if I love Jesus more than anything else, then I'm going to seek to apply the truth of the gospel to my relationship with my kids. I'll be trying to encourage my parents and my siblings and my friends towards greater Christ-likeness. Because to love and serve Jesus more than anyone else in my life is to truly love and serve everyone else in my life. If Jesus is first, then I will love everyone else best. But if I demote Jesus and think I'm going to love everyone better, I actually love them less. I love them worse. If I would seek Him first, then my love for my family, my love for my children, my love for my wife, my love for my neighbor, my love for my friends will flow from that love for Christ. Of course, it doesn't always work that way. Parents might think you're nuts for the way that you love Christ, your wholehearted devotion to Him. Your spouse might not be a believer. They might try to discourage your faith. Your kids might rebel against your desires to help them. Your siblings might ridicule your radical commitment. Your friends might laugh at you, just as some did to Jesus. We're reminded of the Luke of the words in Luke twelve forty nine. You remember these that Jesus says, "I didn't come to bring peace on earth. I came to bring a sword, and I will bring division." He says, "And I will bring it at your most basic family relationships." And the question is, do I love Jesus more than I love? My family, am I willing to sacrifice that for love for Christ? It's a strong call. The first step in being just a disciple, being a follower of Jesus, being a Christian, is that we must hate our families, which means there should be no human rivals to Jesus when it comes to our commitment. The next step begins at the end of verse 26 and carries on into verse 27, and it's this, to be a disciple of Jesus, you must lay down your life. To be a disciple of Jesus, you must lay down your life. He says at the end there, you're not just supposed to hate your family, but yes, even your own life. And he says that unless we are willing to carry our cross and follow him, then we cannot be his disciples. I think when the disciples that day heard that, this idea of carrying the cross, they would have pictured a man carrying a cross because they had seen that. Not something that's common in our day. But they would have thought of someone picking up the cross beam and carrying it to his eventual death. And there is a realm in which we are called by Christ to be willing to lay down our lives, our physical lives, in service to him. The majority of the disciples that heard this that day did die as martyrs because of their faith in Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in The Cost of Discipleship, he says, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And Bonhoeffer was eventually killed in Nazi Germany. He probably didn't realize how true those words were when he wrote them. Jim Elliott, one of my heroes, missionary to Ecuador, he wrote as his life's motto, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And he and his Four friends gave their lives in the jungles of Ecuador to take the gospel to people who had never heard it. 
There are people who are our brothers and sisters in Christ today who have to decide if they will follow Jesus. And when Jesus says, you must take up your cross and follow me for those to make a commitment to Christ, there is the threat of death upon them for saying, I am a Christian. That is reality. And it may be a decision that we have to face at some point in our lives. We are willing to live for Jesus, but am I willing to die for Jesus? But but I think the force of what he's saying here is not physical death, because he says, how often are we supposed to die? We're supposed to die daily. We are to take up our cross and die daily, he says to us in other areas. So, So it's... It's, it's a daily dying. He is calling us to deny ourselves, to, to die to our selfish desires and, and to our ideals every day. Leon Morse, commentator, said, There is nothing self-indulgent about being a Christian. There's nothing self-indulgent about being a Christian. To be a follower of Christ is to crucify all of our personal ambitions and our dreams of individual acclaim. It's, it's to allow the glory of God and His will to be exalted above my own will. It's to wake up every day and say, God, here, here is my life as an offering. It's a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. And this is my spiritual service of worship. It's, in fact, my reasonable service. It just makes sense. This is what I am supposed to do. I'm to die daily for you. Because you are my King, Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, He says that all your, your plans have to take a backseat to the Kingdom of God. So we, do we love ourselves more than we love Jesus? Am I so caught up in my own desires that I'm unable to follow Jesus with all that I have, that I am. So the call to die is a, is a call to, to tear down my kingdom of self and to give myself wholly and completely to the kingdom of God. Complete commitment to Christ. It's hopefully becoming more clear. It's, it's having no personal relationship that would revive, rival our love for Christ. Here it's, it's dying to self-centered ambition to live for Christ. And then finally, it's to be a disciple, you must give away everything you own. <laughs> to be a disciple, you must give away everything you own. Kind of adds that on in verse 33 after some illustrations in case you thought he left something out. <laughs> Therefore, anyone who of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. We're going to see more about money and possessions in the coming weeks. There's some parts in Luke. He's going to talk about that, so we'll touch on it briefly here. Uh, one way that you could say this is um, none of you who wants to be none of you can be my disciple unless he is going to say goodbye to all his possessions. Uh, things have a way of of grabbing our hearts, don't they? They're inanimate, but they can hold on to us. That's why Jesus says, wherever our money is, there will our heart be also. And he says, you can't serve God and money. You've got to pick one or the other. Because houses and, and cars and cell phones and televisions and furniture and 401ks and food and computers and iPads and vacations and clothes, they all can get a kind of a stranglehold on us and suddenly we find that we've sold our allegiance to our things. We invest our time and our energy and our love and our devotion in the things that we own. Our possessions begin to possess us and our consumerism consumes us and suddenly we see that we love our toys more than we love Jesus. 
you ever bought a house, you probably know this. A house, you buy a house, and it's not wrong to buy a house, but that house becomes uh, an idol in our lives sometimes. It's something you got to clean. And man, that yard takes a long time to mow, not, not to mention the weeding and the planting. And then, I mean, don't get me started on raking this time of year, right? It's just, it, it, we got to do all these things. And you can do all those things to the glory of God. And a house can be a huge blessing to your family and to, to friends. But the warning is that we need to be careful that we don't love things more than we, than we love Jesus. That we aren't more committed to our home or our car or anything else than we are to Jesus. Our possessions, our hobbies, they, they can't be more important to us than, than Christ. If we want to follow Him, we can't be, we can't love our possessions. I think it's simple if our possessions have taken over our lives, you know what we need to do with them? Probably shouldn't give them away. <laughs> At least, he says here it's everything. I don't think that's beyond the scope of what he's saying. I think there have been people who have given up the vast majority of the things to follow Christ. Maybe it's not everything though. Could be something. Could be one thing. Something that holds on to you. I can remember giving my bike to a homeless man named Gary when we lived up in Illinois. <laughs> I don't say this out of pride, just a, as a, something God was teaching me in that moment. In my conversations with this, this man, I knew that he had no transportation, and I knew that this is what I was supposed to do. I knew that God wanted me to, to do this, and I didn't want to do it. And in that moment, I started to see, I was studying passages like this at the time, and I started to see how, how things can, can hold your heart. Things even like a junky motive bike that I bought at Sam's Club when I was in junior high. <laughs> I didn't want to give it up because it was my bike. And, and God slowly helped me to see, no, I want you to do this. And, and it wasn't the bike. It, wasn't, it, was, it was this lesson of giving something up. And the space that was left by the, the letting go of the bike allowed me to, to love Christ more And it was just this lesson that we need to hold loosely to the gifts that God has given us. We need to be willing to give them up so that we might be more fully committed to Him. So our first question is, according to Jesus, what is complete commitment to Him? And we've seen what it is, right? You need to hate your family. You need to lay down your life. And you need to give up everything that you own. Let me be clear here. None of this earns salvation. Jesus is not saying that we need to do these things to be made right with Him. Rather, these are the overflow of a heart that has put its faith fully in Christ for salvation. You and I, apart from Christ, are helplessly lost in our sins. We are rebels against God. We have rejected Him, and we want nothing to do with Him and His holy standards. And because of that rebellion, we are under God's judgment and wrath. God owes us nothing except for judgment and condemnation because we have sinned against Him. So we can do nothing to earn our salvation. But Jesus has done everything. In God's great mercy, He sends Jesus. Jesus who knew no sin. And He becomes sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus lovingly becomes our substitute, takes on the cross, takes on the penalty for our sin, and makes it possible for us to be made right with God through repentance and, and faith. And if we truly believe that, 
that then the result of that faith is a complete life commitment. It's a response that says, I will do what these verses say. These things are not the root of salvation. They are the fruit of true salvation. If we are truly saved, then we will willingly renounce everything for Christ. We will willingly put the love of Christ above any other love in our lives. We will willingly lay down our lives for Him. But the question that we need to ask then, and that Jesus tells us to ask, is if if this is the kind of -of all-of-life commitment that Jesus is calling us to, then we need to ask, is following Jesus worth that cost? Is it worth it? If you're going to spend a lot of money on something, you're going to do your research, right? I'm not going to drop a lot of money on something that I don't know fully whether or not it's going to work. If you're going to buy a car, you're going to take it for a test drive. You're going to see how this thing works. And in the midst of spelling out what what truly following Jesus looks like, he gives us a couple of illustrations. And he reminds us that we need to count the cost. That's, that's a great way to think about it. We need to count the cost. Makes the demands clear, doesn't he? He says, are you in? Do you, want, do you want to do this? Or would you rather just walk away? You've got the options. So the first illustration is of, of someone building a tower, right? So this guy builds a tower, lays the foundation, and is unable to finish it. You might think about your latest home improvement project that is still incomplete. <laughs> maybe, maybe you ran out of money, um, or, or maybe you ran out of time, or in my case, maybe you ran out of expertise. Um, and so there, there it sits. The drywall is, is not hung. The car is still up on blocks, or whatever you might think of it as. You didn't calculate the cost before you started. You went to Lowe's a whole bunch of times. You thought it was one trip, but then you just kept going back, and it kept costing more and, and more. This is, hopefully this isn't just happened to me. It's happened to everyone. Uh, the second illustration is of this king, a king who sees an, an approaching army, and, and he has to, they're coming to invade, and he has to decide, can he hold them off, can he fight against them, or does he m- need to make, uh, make peace with them? This two illustrations, the first illustration is a voluntary decision. Would you like to build a tower? I'm going to count the cost and decide whether or not I can build this tower. The second one, it, there, is, there is no option. Indecision is not an option. It's being forced on this person. The army is coming. What are you going to do? There's only two options. You're either going to make peace or you're going to fight. You've got to do something. And I think that's a sense in, what's, in, in which Jesus is, is calling us to this. He's saying, will you or will you not follow me? You have the option. And in the other sense, he's saying, there is no option because I'm coming. I'm coming like this army, and indecision is not an option. Will you or will you not follow me? And if you wait too long, the decision will be made for you. In other words, we need to consider the cost of of choosing to follow Jesus, and we also need to consider the cost of not choosing to follow Jesus, because he's coming regardless of whether or not we make that decision. Jesus says in both illustrations, he says you need to sit down. (laughs) You need to sit down and think. You need to sit down and and consider what's going on. There is this urgency that we have when we call people to Jesus. But he's also very clear about what it's going to cost when we come to him. We saw last week that um, Jesus goes out and he invites people to his banquet, right? He says, everyone, 
come to the banquet. The invitation is for everyone. Come, find joy, find satisfaction and life in Jesus. But then we can imagine Jesus standing at the doorway saying, you are welcome to come in, but I just want to be clear that if you're going to come into this banquet, it will cost you your life. I want full devotion. I want all your love. I want everything that you own. I want your life. You can come in. If I just want to be very clear on that. I've thought about this as we tell others the good news about Jesus, that we need to find this balance, that the way to be made right with God is all of grace. It is not of works, but we also need to make sure that people understand there is a cost to discipleship. There is a cost to following Jesus. And we don't want to make put that cost into the fine print. Jesus is very upfront about this. We don't want to present Jesus the way that drug companies present drugs. So, so the commercial comes on, and this person is in pain. They're, they're, they're sort of out of focus. There's obvious discomfort. Uh, all the colors are drab. Life is going very poorly for this person. And then they take Wonder Drug. I mean, and everything is back in focus, and the, the colors brighten up. Um, they're, they're smiling. They're running through the park with a golden retriever. And, and as you are thinking, you're thinking, I need this drug. I, I need this. As you are saying, I'm going to get this, you hear the narrator in the background saying, you know, this is going to cause all your hair and fingernails to fall out, and the moment you take it, there's like a 90% chance you're going to die. You know? so, I mean, that's in the background, and that's how the, this is going to be great. Eh, something might, terrible might happen. I don't know, maybe. So, so the crowds are, are, we think about this, we see people that are curious about Jesus, and we, and we want to say, how can we make sure that no one turns away? How do, we, how do we make faith in Christ so simple and easy that everyone will come in and everyone will hear it? And yet Jesus, when the crowds show up, he turns and he always gives them the hardest teaching. And he, he spells out clearly, this is the commitment that it's going to cost you. He's not saying, I don't want you to follow me. It's just truth in advertising. He's just saying, listen, you follow me. But it's going to cost you your life. So let's just be real clear on this. As I'm telling you to come and follow me, this is what you're getting into. The call to to follow Jesus is the call to come and die. It's a call of complete devotion. It's a call of unswerving commitment to him. And we must take that, make that, when we take it to others, we must make it clear that that is what he is calling them to, is complete devotion. And we also need to stop. We need to sit down. We need to consider. We need to remind ourselves that this is what Jesus has called us to. That there are areas in our lives, there are people that are taking precedence over Christ. There are things that are taking precedence over Christ. We ourselves may be taking precedence over Christ. We need to pause and, and, and think that we want Jesus to be king, the king of our affections and of our possessions. It might be good to do this afternoon. Sit down. Sit down and think, like Jesus says here. Consider, what are the relationships in my life that threaten my devotion to Christ? What, what is it that I want in life that maybe I'm putting above the kingdom of God? What are my ambitions that maybe aren't God-honoring? Or we might think about, what, what are the things that I own that I, I think I'm getting more devoted to that thing than I am to Jesus? Sit down. Think about that. The reality is in that day and in this day, some will hear this and they will walk away. They will refuse uh, to follow 
be convinced that the cost of following Jesus is way too high. I'm not giving him my whole life. Others will rationalize. Again, you'll dull the sharp edges. You'll decide that, well, this is what Jesus really means. And in actuality, you'll walk away from Jesus, whether you know it or not. You'll think that you're following him, but he says that there are no halfway disciples. And this is, it's all or nothing. You're either all in or you are not in at all. You can't serve two masters. My, my question, though, is if, if you would like to turn away from Jesus, if you're going to say this is too much, then my question is, where else are you going to go? What other option do you have? So Jesus is saying to give us, give, give him our entire lives. And, and if we choose not to do that, then I say, I'd like to serve myself. I would like to serve the world. I would like to serve my, my flesh. I'm going to do what I want. Because you've got to serve somebody. Bob Dylan told us that a long time ago. You've got to serve somebody. You've got to pick someone because everyone's serving someone. And, and Satan, let me tell you, Satan sells sin like drug companies sell drugs. He gives us all the benefits, all the ways it's going to be happy, all, all the way that this will look great. By rejecting Jesus, everything is going to be perfect. But the, the side effects are in the fine print. And in the side effects, death is always listed. Death is always the result of sin, every time. Not only will will turning away from Jesus uh, lead to misery and death, but it leads to futility. That's the point of verses uh, 34 and 35. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Can you think of anything more useless than salt that doesn't taste like salt? It's totally useless. He says it's not even it's not even worth fertilizer. You can't even put it on a manure pile. It, it's it's useless. Can you imagine having a whole barn full of salt that had no flavor? It's what are you going to do with that? It's worthless. And he says if you turn from Jesus, it, You've got nothing. You, you are worthless as a disciple. If you will not make this full commitment, it, you're as worthless as flavorless salt. The devil comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus comes to to bring life. And he's clear that that the life he offers, it comes at the cost of his own life, and it also comes at the cost of my life and your life, if you want to follow him. And that's why after a particular hard teaching in John 6, another passage similar to this, many who had followed Jesus turned away, but he looks at the disciples and he says, are you guys going to go too? Are you going to leave too? And what does Peter say? Where else are we going to go? Where are we going to go, Jesus? You have the words of eternal life. So if you want to walk away, that's fine. Jesus makes it clear. You can, you can walk away. But where are you going to go? And Jesus is calling us to die, isn't he? But he also says that it's only in dying that we can find true life. So you might die to your selfish ambition, your, your own plans for your life, but it's only those who lose their life who actually find their life, Jesus says. Whatever weak ambition you might have, if you will follow Jesus, when we follow Jesus, we become a part of the kingdom of God. We, we become a part of the reason for which God created the universe. 
I don't know what your ambitions are like, but they certainly don't match up to that. So whatever else you, you think this is more important than the kingdom of God, you are sorely mistaken because there's nothing more important than the kingdom of God. And it's hard to give things up because we love things, but if we will give up everything for Jesus, in Jesus, we will find more than we could ever imagine. If we will let those things go, then we will find that He will bless us in more ways than we could ever imagine. So we have to count the cost. Is it worth it? Let's count the cost. What is the cost? It will cost you everything. Everything. It's your family. It's your self-interest. It's your money. It's your possessions. Following Jesus will cost you everything, including your very life. But, it's only in following Jesus that we can actually find life. It's only in following Jesus that you can find joy. And so, we give these things up. Because there's something greater. It's that wonderful parable that Jesus tells of the treasure that's hidden in the field. And the man finds it, and what does he do? He sells everything that he has, and it says he does it for joy. He does it with joy, because he knows that there's a treasure in the field. And he willingly gets rid of everything. I think um, I think it's David Plyde who talks about that, and he says, everyone's saying, why are you doing this? Why are you selling everything? And the guy just looks at them and says, I've got a hunch. So he knows that there's something in the field that's more valuable than everything else that he could ever have. And so with joy we sell everything. With joy we lay down our lives because in Jesus we find life. And, and finally, find this comforting. Jesus never calls us to do anything that he has not done. He is calling us to follow him. He's not saying, you go there. You go lay down your life. You get rid of everything that you have. Sell all your possessions. He's not saying, you go there. He's saying, Come to me. This is the road that I have gone down. He gave up the joy of heaven to to live as a carpenter's son, who in his ministry years had nowhere even to lay his head. He was hated by his family. He was mocked by the people that he came to love and to pour out his life for and to die for. He was deserted by his closest friends in his deepest hour of need. He not only followed the will of the Father every day, but he followed the will of the Father all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross. And yet, and yet God raises him up from the dead and lifts him to the highest place. And Jesus, we could say, is the most joy-filled being in all the universe because he has given up everything for God. And he calls us to follow him down this path, this, this path of, of hatred for others and by others, but love from a heavenly father. He, he calls us down this path of death that leads to life. He, Paul, he calls us down a path of poverty that leads to true wealth and true riches in him. So he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has eyes to see, let him see. And may God open our ears and our eyes to hear and to to see the cost. To see the cost of following Jesus. But also to see the reward of true discipleship. And by the Spirit, may we... Let's embrace this. Let's embrace Jesus as the treasure of our lives. He is the only person worth living and worth dying for. Let's pray.
Father, these words seem so hard on the surface, and they are. You, we thank You, God. Thank You that You're not trying to bait and switch us into following You. You have been crystal clear. You want our lives. You want everything from us. And it's only when we do that, God, that we can find true life. Lord, I pray for those that have never made that first decision to take a step in following You, to lay down their lives, to repent of sin and to turn to faith. Lord, may they see the cost. And God, I pray that they would not turn away. I pray that this this word would go down deep, that you would keep the devil from taking it out. I pray that you would keep the cares of this world from from choking it out, that it would produce fruit, and that there would be people ready to, to live for you and ready to die for you. Lord, for those of us who have walked down that path, we've let other things creep in. We've let other things rise to the top that are more important than you. And Jesus, we just affirm they are nothing compares to you. None of our ambitions compare to you. None of the people in our lives that we love so much compare to you. None of the possessions that we have can hold a candle to you. Jesus, you are greater. You are greater than everything in our lives. And so we afresh commit, though we willingly lay down our lives, because it's only in doing that we find joy and we find life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for giving us the example. Thank you for not telling us where to go, but calling us to yourself. Help us to run to you with joy. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.